Wait, the one celebrity you're obsessed with is Kelsey Grammer? No, 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 no. Oh. This is celebrity detail I'm really obsessed with. I'm okay. always like, how many people have they married? Mm. That says a lot about them. And I think Kelsey Grammer is on fourth or fifth marriage. Yeah, he's he's racking up those numbers. <laughs> I'm like, just my personal judgment of it is I'm like, it's just not your thing, man. <laughs> I have no take on any other like <laughs> sexual preferences, what you're into. I have no take on that. Like live and live. But if I go to to your Wikipedia and when it says spouse and there's three or four, I'm like, <laughs> what? It's, you. it's you. There is no 12 steps. There is no eat, pray, love. This is you. <sighs> yeah. Kels, I don't know. I think he he kills it professionally and then personally he just can't get it right, I guess. But on the fourth re-up, like, can you really ask people to come to the wedding? <laughs> Are you really going to ask for a toaster? On the fourth? <laughs> the third was really pushing it. You know? Like, <laughs> you know how when you find out there's five lethal weapons? That's yeah. kind of <laughs> Kelsey Grammer's marriage history. Welcome to another episode of Black Freja. It is I, host extraordinaire, Phoebe Lynn Robertson. And as always, I'm joined by my editor, my producer, my life partner, the giver of all the sausage in this apartment, British <laughs> I was with you until you said that last one then. Who? I was like, oh, this is a good intro. I'm enjoying this. And then it's sausage. And I just, thank you. I mean, I imagine many men will love that intro. title. <laughs> Giver of all sausage. Um, British Bake Off in the studio with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very excited about today's episode because we are talking about college, honey, mm-hmm. and um, student loans, the whole nine yards. That is a phrase people say. University as well for those who are listening in good old England. Oh, if, you re- if you're truly a Brit, it's uni. Yeah, uni. Ah, I love the way you guys say, <laughs> like, everything is like, it's just so cute and like ridiculous. Like your clothing stores are just like, like houndstooth. Commonwealth Bag and Bone. <laughs> Commonwealth uh-huh. Bond. And you're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, we're very pretentious like that. Yeah. 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 It's like all these shirts are 70% off, but it's a Commonwealth Hounds Tooth yep. place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure, London. <laughs> 
I am. I'm happy about today's episode. In all seriousness, I think it's like really great. I I went to college. Mm-hmm. Did you go to uni? I did not. Mm-hmm. I decided. Was not. life your uni? Life on the open road <laughs> was my university, darling. <laughs> No, but at the very last minute, I decided not to go to university. Like, How did your mum take it? um, Well, backstory was I wanted to go to a music technology university in London. And I mean, before I'd even got there, I would have spent $4,000. Yeah, about $4,000. To what? Just the application fees. Oh, right. Um, with it being music technology, you needed certain equipment as well. Naturally. So you'd have to buy a new laptop and all that jazz. Sure. And I was looking at it and it's like, it was 14,500 pounds. A year. I am bloody gobsmacked. <laughs> Is that something Zane Lowe says? <laughs> oh, crikey. <laughs> Zane's like, bitch, don't talk about me. But yeah, I was like, Two weeks out, it must have been. Three weeks out, maybe. I just like, you know what? I don't want to do this. Did you lose that deposit, though? No, I didn't. No. Oh. Yeah. In America, they're petty as fuck. They've been like, bitch. We've spent that yeah. long, long ago. <laughs> That's gone into some trust funds that you're never going to see again. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's I'm I'm honestly I'm glad you made a decision. Like my dad, uh, he did his freshman year of college and he dropped out because it just wasn't for him, and he mm-hmm. wanted to do diff- different things with his life. So I feel like this episode in particular, because so many people are reevaluating their lives right now. But yeah, for sure, I think that would be good to like just talk about college and student mm-hmm. loans and what it means to sort of like put yourself in a position to b- be more attractive in the marketplace. But now we're in a marketplace where it's like. There's not a lot of jobs. Yeah. Um, and so if we're going to talk about college, we had to bring on one of my favorite people of all time, one of my homies, Hassan Minhaj, um, who a lot of you know from the Patriot Act as well from his Netflix, his Netflix special, Homecoming King. Mm-hmm. He is so amazing. He's so funny. He's a doting father of two. He has Disney Prince hair, and he makes a lot of salient points. His hair and beard game, I just, it's just on another level. It's what a man can only dream of, (laughs) aspiring to. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, so we're going to talk to Hassan. I will say, guys, just up top, we were recording remotely. He was in the woods. Like, deep in them woods. Like, deep. Oh. Deep in dim woods. <laughs> I know I've been butchering a British accent for the whole of this intro, but deep in dim woods. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, is that a problem? But I do love that he was in the woods because that makes me think about the time we were last in the woods. Mm. And that's when we went glamping upstate for my 35th birthday, <laughs> which was very romantic and it was very sweet and lovely and exciting, but I did get roasted on the first night by Bake Off because I have the presence of mind to, just in case my period popped off, I'm not done, (laughs) in case my period popped off, I brought an economy size worth of sanitary napkins you could make a bloody raft out of the amount you bought. <laughs> if the town flooded and we needed to float to safety, we would have been, there would have been spare for our neighbors. 
I mean, it, it certainly would have gotten Tom Hanks off that beach and cast away. Let's exactly. Be real. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But you just, I'm just going to go, I'm going to get personal. Mm-hmm. Most, not most, I say a lot of women, day two is like The Shining. So you want to just make sure. I mean, I was being prepared by bringing like a first aid kit, a knife, (laughs) a can opener, like all the things that you would usually take camping to be prepared. (laughs) Okay. I brought athleisure. Uh Uh-huh. I brought my iPad, which had downloaded (laughs) um, the bodyguard. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the what a fun! I watched it for the first time. There, what an amazing movie! I was like, Frank Farmer, you could get it. Plant all your bulbs up in my. Head. That's again just took a turn. <laughs> I was. Is that a farming te- terminology? Play? Planting your bulbs. I suppose yeah, bulbs like your flower bulbs. Yeah, plant but... them up in my fertilizer. <laughs> oh. This leaves a bad taste in your mouth, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, are you supposed to eat Miracle Grow? I don't think so. <laughs> so back to college. <laughs> Without further ado, here's my lovely conversation with the incredible Hassan Minhaj. Hi, Hassan. What's going on? <laughs> I miss you, bud. Thanks so much for doing. Oh, that's so sweet. Thanks for doing Black Frage. Like, I feel like this is going to be a great episode. People were very excited when I listed you as one of the guests for the podcast. So you're deeply loved. We have a lot to get into today, but I just want to read you this. Someone just sent me like a last minute question today. Like it was urgent. So okay. I just want to read it to you before we get into what the episode's going to be about. Right. So this is from Allie. Uh, she slash her are the pronouns. Can you find out how Hassan gets his beard so perf? Like what setting is that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, my <laughs> my barber, and I haven't gone in a long time, obviously because of COVID, but yeah. I have a Puerto Rican barber and a Japanese barber, and Ooh. it comes so correct when it comes to your fade and your lineup. Like, they're straight up doing Algebra 2 trigonometry on your face. <laughs> Sine, cosine, they're hitting all their right angles, like... <laughs> There's sometimes where I'm just like, this looks too perfect. You got to make it look natural because it looks like a cartoon drawing. <laughs> no, you look like like you are in a rom com. You're the dream catch. Oh, you got to you you can't it can't be too crispy. <laughs> don't don't you like it looking a little natural? You know. I mean, I think for you, it does look natch. Like your perfection with your beard looks natch. But I think if you're not trying too hard, it's just like the person wants to respect all the angles and make sure you hit front. Because you turn a lot on Patriot right. Act. You are 360. So they really got to make sure it looks good from every angle. So I love it. Okay, so 
today what I want to talk to you about is I'm a yeah. huge fan of your show, Ovs, and yeah. I really love the episode of Patriot Act that was about college and student loans because we've both been, most of our friends have been, and now that we're in our 30s, we're yes. sort of like, I paid off my student loans uh, 2017. Um, what did that so, feel like? Can I, can I ask you, what, what did that feel like? Well, so here's the thing. So I, I got a writing job on the last season of Portlandia, and I was so excited because it was like my first major like staff writing job. And then <clears throat> I think I had something like a little over 40 plus in student loans left. And I was like, you know what? I can just be really excited about getting my like first writing job and like buy a purse or buy some Gucci shoes. Right. But I just decided to take every cent that I earned from Portlandia and put towards my student loan. So to me, it felt like I made this big sacrifice. People are like, oh, you're right for TV. You must have so, money, so much money. I was like, no, I gave it all away <laughs> to my student loans. But I felt like when I got the letter in the mail, that's when I was like, <gasps> and I felt so excited. Pre-2017, did you feel like when you were coming up in comedy and you're doing NACA and you're like writing your first book, did it seem like this mountain of, it was a mountain of debt to the point where you're like, fuck it, why even try? No, because... It was, I think... Did it feel insurmountable or did you feel like, I can overcome this, it's just going to take a long time? I just thought it was going to take a long time. I think my total student loans was like 48 grand or something. And so I was just sort of like, well, I think I'll just probably will pay this off until I'm 50. Like that was just sort of what I assumed. And I was just like, that's how it's going to be. I mean, what about you? Did you have student loans or no? So my first year... I had you a went to UC Davis, yeah? UC Davis, and I grew up in Davis. So I, my first year I had a scholarship so I could live in the dorms. It was paid for. But as soon as that expired, my parents were like, you're living at home. Like, you're straight up living mm. at home. I don't have, um, you know, emotion. I don't have student debt, but I do have emotional debt. And, uh, <laughs> like, but I, but in the long run, I realized it actually was beneficial because I was doing standup and like yeah. if I actually paid the full UC University of California tuition, it would have just derailed my dreams for the 10 years until I got on the yeah. daily show. Like I wasn't making enough to really kind of pay that off. But if I lived at home just paying um, just for my units, I, I, I could get that done. And yeah. so- I became kind of really passionate about it because I think our generation in this generation right now, we're getting fucked so bad from it. It's yeah. like, it's ridiculous. Um, and so that's why I was like really passionate. I wanted to do an episode on it. Yeah. And so when I watched the episode, it did, there was a part of me was like, Oh no, does, does Hassan not really like, is he anti-college? Or because I know like so much of it is just about the fact that there are student loans and the fact that the government is not actually looking out for, you know, people who want to go to college and the schools themselves, they are actually a business and not about higher education, but about their endowments. But when I was watching it, it made me wonder, like, when you look back on your college experience, yeah. do you feel positive about it? Do you feel like it was been, do you feel like you, you gained something from going to college? So my take on it, and we did an episode this cycle on it, is college still worth it? Mm -hmm. And the punchline of the episode was, 
The problem is, is that college used to be aspirational and now you have to go to it defensively because you're penalized for not going to college. Yeah. So really what that does is that that breaks people into two classes, people that are daddy funded that just have a buffer or safety net, or there are people that are diving headfirst into mountains of debt because they just don't want to be penalized as they enter the next round of their life. And to me, that's the part that's not fair because they have all the leverage, they meaning the colleges, they have these massive endowments. And if you've seen what NYU and what Harvard are doing, classes all online, but it's still 40 to 50 grand a year, then what are you really paying for? And that was my question is that like, just know this is a business transaction, know what you're getting. That's, that's really my thing for students. Just know what you're getting. And so that's the punchline, you know, like a lot of the colleges that you look at now, they're basically just glorified like summer theme parks where they'll spend all this money (laughs) on rock climbing walls and lazy rivers. We found in the episode, there's so many universities that have a lazy river. And it's just like, look, I don't want my tuition to go to that. I want it to go to guaranteed jobs placement. Right. And so I think our generation and this next generation, they're really going to struggle with that fundamental question of what am I honestly getting out of this? And I think the answer has to evolve at this point. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering like growing up because my dad went to college and I think he dropped out his freshman year because he was like, college isn't for me. Like, I don't like this sort of thing. And oh, he, really? Yeah. What did he, and he, what did he end up doing? Like, what was his occupation? Well, he was a stay-at-home dad for a little bit with us. And then, like, he just sort of, like, always had these jobs. Like, he had, like, a little bit of a small business. And then now he does real estate. And he just sort of always landed on his feet. And, like, to him, him like, he wasn't necessarily pressured to go to college. So when he dropped out, it wasn't like this big thing that now I feel like now someone dropped out of college, your parents might freak out. So anyway, so because my dad didn't go to college, my mom did, they've always been really sort of flexible and like whatever you want to do, as long as you're not just going to, you know, once you graduate from high school, just be chilling on our couch watching The Price is Right. They were sort of, you know, down for. And I'm wondering, like in your family, was there was there was the pressure to go to college really huge? Like, did you feel like I have to do this or I'm going to completely let down my family? Yeah. And like with my parents, they were pushing STEM super hard, which mm-hmm. is like science, technology, engineering, math. Um, and so I did the thing where I just turned my brain off. And my freshman year, I was pre-med. Like I was just like, yeah, I'm supposed yeah. to do that. And I know that so many kids in my community ended up doing pre-med or pharmacy or dentistry just because they just kind of turned their brain off and they were like, mom and dad said, I have to do this. And again, like you wake up 10 years later and you realize the entire game has now been turned against you. The entire medical, you know, the healthcare industry was privatized. So doctors make less and less and less. And this thing that was considered to be a quote unquote guarantee wasn't the, mm-hmm. wasn't that, right? And so that to me, Again, I think about how I just lucked out. I really did luck out because I went from pre-med, dropped out of that, to pre-law, dropped out of that, to just <laughs> taking the LSAT, lying to my parents, not going to law school. Like, I'm a byproduct of luck. I really lucked out. Yeah. This is not a formula that everybody should do, you know? <laughs> like, it's not. Like, do you look at your – what did you major in? 
I was um, a writing major just because that that sounded. I was like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like, I knew I wanted to live in New York. I watched uh-huh. Felicity. I was like, I want to be in college with like hot guys, like trying to smash. Uh-huh. Um, and even when I graduated, I was just sort of like, okay, I guess I'll just like work at a film company and an admin. Like, I was just truly stalling because I had no idea what I want to do. And then when I started doing stand up right before I turned 24, that changed my life. But up right. until then, I was like, yeah, I just got this degree so I could be in New York and I'm pretty sure this isn't going to be worth anything. Like a waste of my time, like why I went, but it ended up working out. But I'm I'm curious about in terms of like, you know, we think about like people not going to college, like only affecting financially or like their poten- their earning potential, right? But like I, there's this girl, I don't want to say she's a friend of mine, but like we're associates or whatever. And okay. she once said, you know, I wouldn't date a guy if he didn't go to college. I have standards. And so I think it's also a thing where in society, college can sometimes be used as this thing to sort of separate, like, I'm better than this other person because yeah. I went and got higher education. And yeah. so I think there might be some people who now are thinking, like, maybe I don't want to go to school, but if I don't go to college, this is going to affect my dating life. This is going to affect business-wise. This is going to affect, like, who wants to be my friend? Am I going to be looked down upon? And so I'm wondering, like, what you think about the sort of stress that comes with not wanting to go to college and ended up not doing it. Yeah. I mean, like societal pressure is super real. Um, and to expect people to just be like, fuck it. Don't care about what people have to say. That's a very tough ask. I would just say, I remember being like 23 to 26 and being in the job market and applying for jobs and everything was based on, unless you went to a top five school, it was all about your work experience. And I remember once I got to The Daily Show, I realized there was this whole internship program where there were a bunch of PAs there that were like sophomores or juniors in college. I realized I was like, oh, if I did that my sophomore or junior year, I would have never needed college. Mm. And so many of our interns at The Daily Show ended up climbing all the way to the top. Like Adam Lowett started as an intern and then went all the way up to EP showrunner. It's pretty crazy. I mean, he was there for like 15 years. Yeah. But if you think about ROI on that, that's way better than, you know, going to college and then graduating and then figuring that out. And so the thing that I wish more things in society had is that kind of like internship program. I think the problem is, is that when you get into the labor force now, corporations have been incentivized to prevent protect the C-suite executives and not the laborers. Yeah. Meaning if you work for even a Google and Amazon, a Facebook, uh, one of the big banks, the people that are protected the most are the people at the very top, not the employees. And so even when you enter that, you have to look out for yourself because there is no real safety net for you there either. So that Adam Lode example I gave you, I wish it existed in more industries. Where it's like, yeah, I, I came here at 21 and it, by 35, 36, I'm running the whole operation. But that's super rare. So I don't know where the middle ground is. I think that's mm-hmm. like the big thing America's struggling with. There's no middle ground. You're either, and I think that's what's informing a lot of the protests right now. Mm-hmm. Because people are like, you're either a feudal lord that runs everything at the top, or you literally cannot make rent and you're being evicted. 
And then we've been sold this illusion just because we all have iPhones where we live in the richest country in the world. We just have a ton of crap that we want, but we have nothing that we actually need, like functioning schools, a real, you know, social safety net. So that to me was like even a joke that I did on the show. Like everything we want is amazing. Uber, Grubhub, Netflix, HBO Go, fucking incredible. Like 11 out of 10. Everything I need, airports, buses, trains, schools, <laughs> water, fucking dog shit. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was just like, have you been to Penn Station? Like, <laughs> Looked like a terror attack went off. Like there's just people lying on the floor. People are running around. People are screaming. You're just like, what is this? And then when you go to other first world developed countries, it's not like that. There is a social safety. There's a baseline. Like water, education, travel. These are all like, these are human rights. You should just have this. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 But I'm wondering if maybe we're even looking at education from the get go wrong, because, you know, there's especially I I live in New York and I don't have any kids, but like I live in a nice neighborhood. You know, people are competing to get into preschool because like if you get in the right preschool, then that sets you on the right path for life. So like if you don't get in the right preschool at what, three, you're screwed. And so me and Bina are in that. I'm just like, yeah, I really feel kind of disillusioned a little bit with the American dream Mm -hmm. because. So much of what I'm being told now, because we have two kids, we have my, we have baby girl, she's two, we have the newborn, he's four months. And so much of what I'm hearing that's being whispered to me is I'm going to have to aunt Becky my way through life so my kids can get ahead. <laughs> I'm like, that's not right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to live like an African dictator just paying people off to get my, my kids. <laughs> that ain't the way to live. I don't want to live like Gaddafi, like where I'm just like paying <laughs> institutions off to get my son or daughter in the right place like that ain't a way to live so yeah i i just feel like this generation and you talked about this on the tonight show with jimmy was like there's a real reckoning that needs to happen but for me the thing that i'm trying to focus on is that baseline and that baseline has been gone you know yeah but I'm wondering if you think if you have any ideas on how we should rethink education because if you're you know, indoctrinating kids to be like, okay, you have to care about school so you can get into college. It takes, it takes the joy out of learning and it takes the sort of, I don't want to say like passion, but I feel like there's some, I think there's some, there's a missed opportunity for people to grow up in a, in a way where they feel encouraged instead of feeling nonstop pressure. How did and you, the, I, how did you learn what your gift was, Phoebe? Like you have a gift, right? But did you yeah. work in middle school or middle school? Because like I didn't. I was like, I'm a loser. Like I don't have really. A yeah. Like the only time that I knew that I had something special was speech and debate. But speech and debate was like this like niche club. Nobody told me you could be really good at this. Like look at all these great political comedians. Like you could be like them. Look at Wanda Sykes. Look at Greg Giraldo. Look at John Stewart, there's all these people that kind of use speech and debate in their act. It wasn't until I got to college, I had to, I had to stumble into it. And I think mm. that's a shame because there's so many, even like fans of the show, there's so many like 13 to like, I would say 25 year olds that are just asking what, 
what value do I have to society if I don't fill in these like very specific boxes? So how did you find that you had a gift? Like, I mean, no, I would say like in high school, I like didn't give a shit about school in high school. So I was kind of like a C minus student, which really pissed my parents off because they're like, you know better than what you're doing. So I would say like when I moved to New York and I, and I went to Pratt Institute and I really just love living in New York. And I had like my friend group and we were all were kind of like nerdy and I did like improv. That's sort of where I felt like, oh, maybe I performing or whatever would be something interesting. But I was still, I think, too scared to admit it to myself. So it wasn't until stand up where I was like, I think I'm meant to do this, but I didn't watch a lot of stand up growing up. So I then had to go back and watch Carlin and Pryor and Margaret right. Cho and all these things. But I feel like because education is so like learn these facts to then get to this next level. But then you have to sort of like just push students along because you don't want to like hold people back. Like I'm wondering if like the entire educational system, do you think needs to be dismantled and rebuilt? Yeah, I think, I think completely like Mm. even right now, (laughs) even with our two year old, I realize because we can't send her to school, we'll just give her Khan Academy kids on the iPad. Yeah. And I'm watching what she's learning on that. It's way more than daycare. Daycare is basically mm. just prison for children. There's like yard <laughs> <laughs> where they make them go and run laps. There's just like a confined area for kids and they fight with each other. There's a like, there's these like little like, barracks where they sleep I'm just like, <laughs> oh basically what you're doing is you're just telling me for nine hours we'll keep her in this cell this like confined yeah. area, and then you pick them up but the actual hard learning i'm seeing that some of the programs that she's seen she's doing on her ipad they're teaching her spelling and all these things way faster than even the the structure of schools i will say like the way i would the technological revolution that we're living in right now mm-hmm. is moving at such a rate. I don't know if the current school, school system can keep up with that. Like mm. I took C plus plus. I think Wait, my, what's that? I don't know what that is. That's a programming language, right? Oh, okay. I took it. <laughs> You're like, yo, you dumb. <laughs> it's a programming language. All right. So anyway. I took C++ at my junior year of uh, high school. And then when I remember like 2009, 2010, 2011, I was struggling. I couldn't find a job, but I was looking for all these jobs and they were basically looking for coders, you know, do you know C++? Do you know Java? Do you know all these languages? And I realized I was like, wait a second. I took C++ as an elective on some bullshit, but I quieted (laughs) down. On calculus BC, I took that so seriously. I was like, I need. They don't even have numbers. They don't even use numbers in calculus BC. It's all like theoretical math. And I just thought to myself, I was like, this is bullshit. They should totally teach us all the languages of the the computer knowledge based society that we live in. That should be standard. That way, kids and especially impoverished kids that don't have, you know, that aren't daddy funded. They can enter the workforce and be like, yes, I can code. Yes, I can build apps. Yes, I can do these things. I'm, I'm hireable. 
Instead, they just get this very generic education that the, that the workforce doesn't even want to begin with. So I don't have like the execution of it, but I thought mm-hmm. to myself, I was like, man, I should have figured out in college, I should have done stand up and then gotten some sort of background in this because had stand up failed, I could have fallen back on that. But nobody tells you that. Another thing that we don't have is I'm, I'm like, why do we have calculus, but we don't have finance? Mm-hmm. Yep. W2, W9. I don't know the difference. How many dependents do you play? Like, <laughs> come on. Nobody teaches you that? I know. It's one of those things. And you get into debt. I feel like every person I know has gotten into some sort of idiotic debt just because we were never really taught like the right way to look at our finances. And like when you get a check, you have to account for the fact you're paying taxes. Like, so if you get like a hundred dollar check, you're not getting a hundred dollars. You're getting like 55. You know what I mean? Like, so everyone's living on money. They, they're not actually going to ever get. Yeah. It wasn't until later in life. Like my father-in-law had to sit me down and tell me that, that he was like, if you make a hundred dollars, you have to act like you only have 35. And I was like, what? And he's like, look at all these things. And I was, it just, it made me so sad. But had I known that at 21 or 22, mm-hmm. I think I also would have made better decisions, you know? Yeah. And I'll give you another example. Like, I'm still trying to learn this. What is the stock market? I don't get it. Like, I know. Same. I really don't get it. I really don't understand it. Unemployment is almost at 50 million people, right? That's al- mm-hmm. approximately 50 million people are filing for unemployment. The, the American workforce of people that actually work is only 160 million. So you're telling me right now, almost a third of the workforce is seeking employment or unemployed. Meanwhile, stop the stock market is at all time highs. How does that make any sense? And how do people learn to understand that? Like retirement, a stock market before all those things, because that to me is the real punchline to all this massive social upheaval that people are fighting about. They don't get it, you know? Yeah. And I, I want to go back to education for a second, right. because I feel like we are sort of living in a 1950 sort of way that we look at education, where it's like you go to school, then you get into a job, you stay yeah. at that job until you retire, then you get your yeah. pension and then you die. And it's not really realistic. So what you were saying about how technology is moving faster than the educational system right now, I think because our mindsets are so like, get that safe job. And now we're living in a world where there are no safe jobs. Let's play it out. Not one. Yeah. Like a safe job, get that house. This is another lesson that I just recently learned. So we don't own a house, but I just started researching it. And it depends on the state the city, there's all these variables, there's state tax, there's property tax, there's all of these things. And this idea that we were sold of the American dream between the 1950s and say the 1980s, where a house would be this asset that could double and triple over time, it's gone. And so sometimes I get angry. I'm like, who's going to teach this to me? Like, it's just basically YouTube videos like that ain't it either. (laughs) It sent me down these insane rabbit holes. I'm like, I don't know if I can trust this person, you know, yeah. but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the recommended, that recommended video takes you to these weird places. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I'll take it back to student loans and, and college just from a baseline. Remember freshman year when you're walking around the quad and they're like, Hey, sign up for this credit card and you get a, a quadruple XL. Yes. Okay. 
first of all, when you have student loans, I didn't know this, but there, we did this when we did our episode. There's, there's two types of paths that you can go down. One of which can fuck you over so bad. One is a income based repayment plan. Basically that sets up payments based on how much money you make that you can pay your student loans over the long term. Then there's this thing called loan deferment which is an easier path where you just defer your loan payment, but you have to pay back astronomical interest on this. And I didn't know this, but we we revealed this in the episode that your student loan provider, say a Navient, will tell you on the phone to get you off the phone, hey, just defer your payment. It's quicker. I don't have to calculate how much money you're making. So why don't you just defer your payment and just you deal with the shitty interest later. And so many people have been screwed over by that. So who do we trust? My student loan provider, who I thought I could trust, is making me sign up for something bad. Nobody on campus is looking out for me. My university, my teachers, my faculty, TAs, nobody's telling me that. My parents are telling me I'm doing the right thing by going to college. And you end up paying back this nightmare 5, 10, 15 years later when you try to look at your credit score, you try to get a house, you try to get married. you know. And I just felt like at every juncture we've been screwed over through misinformation or lack of information. Um, And that's why I wanted to testify before Congress about it too, because I felt like it didn't have to be that way. Predatory lenders, uh, you know, like these student loan providers should be treated like predatory lenders. Yeah. And so since you brought up testifying um, at Congress, what was that experience like? Because I imagine that would just be, really intimidating, but I'm also wondering, do you feel as though they took you seriously or do you feel like they were just going through the motions of listening to you and then on to the next issue? So to me, like I don't have a ton of trust in government mm-hmm. uh, as I just know that we're deeply entrenched in partisan politics. So the Democrats hold their line for their party. The Republicans hold the line on their party and the people that end up suffering are everyday Americans. Like, yeah. Um, and I'm telling this, you this honestly, like I've spent the last six or seven years covering politics. I don't trust either side. I'm just like real talk, kind of both of y'all ain't cutting it. Um, and, um, I actually felt the student loan crisis was a bipartisan issue and it's a winnable issue because it doesn't matter blue or red. Both of your constituents are going to be mired in debt and they're going to be looking up five or 10 years later and being like, Why isn't anybody helping me? So it's actually in your best incentive. It doesn't matter what your state is to help solve this right now. There's other issues that get super politicized to the extreme right or the extreme left. Guns, uh, abortion rights, all of those sort of things. But to me, I felt like this is a winnable issue. And so I knew, all right, I should testify Because five years from now, I'll look back on it and be like, yeah, I did the right thing. And I didn't get pulled into this partisan battle that was unwinnable. And then number three, um, I think the the issue is at a point now where the student loan crisis, I think it's at $1.6 trillion, something like that. It's at a number that it's getting to a point where both sides are acknowledging this is too much. This is way too much debt that an entire generation is carrying. So I felt like I should go. The thing that I was most afraid of is I knew the Republicans were going to attack me, right? They knew like, all right, this like comedian is going to come in and 
he's going to try to make a mockery of this whole thing. And so I had to come super correct. Like I had to like memorize all these numbers. I had my statement, but then I knew they were going to examine me. And so that was the thing I was most nervous about. Yeah. Wow. That is intimidating. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it's also like, it's kind of bullshit. I knew what they were going to say. They were going to be like, Hey, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, your generation. You guys are too obsessed with brunch and avocado toast. (laughs) <laughs> I paid, I paid my way through school. You no, know, I I found a way to pay off my loans. Why can't you do that? You want a handout, you know? Like this idea that you want the debt cleared is ridiculous. And what I had to show is like you know this is this is that's bullshit. The cost of college has gone up exponentially, and wages have stayed the same. That's yeah. bullshit. So even if you were to go to college now, you went to school in 1971. If you were to go to college now, you wouldn't be able to afford it. You'd be in the same position so many of your constituents are in. So that's just bullshit, you know? Yeah. So let's bring it back to your kids. I love that you're a dad. I got comments saying that you're a zaddy. Um, but <laughs> what, a, what does zaddy imply? Zaddy is just like, it's like a hot dad. Okay. But you could also be a zaddy and not have kids. It's just a gentleman who's attractive and you're like, mm, zaddy. Got it. But <laughs> but zaddy implies responsibility. That's the sex appeal part, right? That like Yeah, he, it's like, like oh, okay. he change, like he can change diapers, zaddy. Yeah, it's like he's going to make meals. He's got HBO Max subscription, like he's yeah. he's doing the damn thing, you know? <laughs> But, um, I mean, looking at now, you have two kids, right? Um, and because before you have kids, I imagine, like, you have all these sort of theoretical thoughts about, like, what you want to do, like, how you're going to value education with your kids. But then when, once you have kids, I imagine it's totally different. So yeah. what are you now sort of, like, what do you hope for? Like, how do you want your kids to look at education? And what do you want from the schools that you're going to end up sending your kids to? So... It's really crazy. Me and Bina, we talk about this all the time because there's this just thing I'm juggling where do we prepare the kids for what we want the world to be or what the world is? And the way my parents raised me is my dad was just not an optimist. He was like, Mm -hmm. I don't care about a theoretical kumbaya world. I'm going to prepare you for what the world is, you know? And he was kind of right. There's even like some of those mornings I wake up where I'm like, maybe dad was right. Like I got to prepare my daughter and my son for what the world is and not what I want the world to be. And so that's the toughest thing, especially when I look at education. Um, I think by the time they grow up, I'm realistically thinking about this. They're going to live in a world where they may not have to go to college or they probably shouldn't go to college. That may exist. That may be a Mm -hmm. very real movement in two decades. Number two, the jobs that they'll be getting, they may live in a world. We're already living through this where you won't have one employer in your life. You're going to change careers every three to five years, you know? And so the thing I'm trying to figure out are what are those skill sets that I can give them to prepare them for that? And so the two things I'm trying to work on with them is try to find what their gift is and help facilitate that in any way that I can. 
And then in the meantime, make sure they just have a really solid foundation of what the new world is that they'll be living in, which I think will be knowledge-based, computer-driven work, you know? And so that's really Yeah. And then you mentioned earlier about how you sort of feel disillusioned about the American dream. Yeah. Do you and Bay sort of talk about this and like what what do you like how do you feel about it? Like what is your what is your dream for yourself if it's not the American dream? What what sort of optimism do you have about your life where you're like, "Oh, this is what I'm working towards?" I don't know. You know it's do you have optimism for the future? Are you like do you look at it like super bright? I I mean, I think with the uh, what's your face? I thought I thought you were like looking at me like what am I about to say? But uh, no, I feel like the uprisings made me feel optimistic in a way where I think that when I saw globally people protesting for Black Lives Matter and no civil rights movement had ever had a global sort of push that made me go oh my god and it made me also feel like the generation behind us like are gonna push for a change because i feel like the the youth are who actually make things a little bit different than what they were before so yes but then at the same time when i see things like when i see kanye west running for president and the media paying so much attention to him as if we didn't learn what happened from paying so much attention to Trump, which basically helped him get elected. I'm sort of like, oh, damn, we really don't want to learn our lessons. Like, we want to repeat the same mistakes. So I feel I feel this push and pull where I'm like, on one hand, we're doing a great job. On the other hand, I'm like, we are just setting ourselves up for, like, a new kind of disaster. Yeah, I completely agree. So... When I saw the BLM movement go all the way to Syria, like they made a George Floyd mural. I was like reading the New York Times in Syria. I was like, yo, they don't have a functioning government there. And even people in Syria are like, police brutality has gone too far. This is insane. And I was so optimistic that the world was recognizing that. It was just, it's something unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. And it may be something any like anything I'll ever see in my life, right? So I was super optimistic. And then, yeah, regarding the Kanye president stuff, I don't know if you feel this way, but the world seems so much noisier than even 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, that I'm really scared. Like, there's so much discourse and there's so much noise and there's so much stuff out there that I'm afraid for my kids like will it be so much that it it becomes crippling you don't even know how to engage with society you know yeah i mean i think because social media can be such a force of change and i think i've definitely learned things from like oh being on instagram and reading things on twitter which then forced me to go dig deeper you know like you can't just stop at like going on social media like you have to do the research but sometimes i notice that I'll be like, you know what? I can't be on my phone for the rest of the day because I get so sort of, what's the future going to hold? I don't know. I'm just reading all this sort of content because I, f- I feel as though social media is in a way designed for the consumption of content, but not the actual processing of what yes. you're, you're reading. It's just like 
click, 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 read, 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 and becomes an addiction, but you don't realize the wear and tear that has. So I don't know. I mean, let me ask you a question net positive, yeah. net negative. Has Twitter, yeah. give it a percentage, percent positive versus percent absolute trash. I think 30% positive. I was, that's like my exact number. Really? Ah! Like 30 positive, 70, don't fucking touch it. It's yeah. like a yeah. nightmare. Yeah. Mine's 30. I mean, I mean, the amount of white men who will just let me know what they feel about me. I'm like, what is this? Who are you? It's just like, it's such a dumpster fire. But then there's so many wonderful things about it. And it helps people mobilize and spread and share information. But that's also a bad thing because there's a lot of misinformation being intentionally spread. But I don't know. I just, I wonder what social, the impact that social media has on education because so much of social media is everyone having a hot take, right? And yeah. I think education can't be sort of built around a hot take or yeah. I'm going to only have two of the facts. And so I'm going to form an opinion instead of gathering all of the facts. I don't yeah, know. I what do you I'm think? Tired of that. I'm a little tired of it too. Mm -hmm. Like just looking at the camera and being like, here's my take. And I'm part of me is like, I don't want to, I don't need a take on everything. There's some things mm -hmm. where I just need to sit back and learn or submit that I don't know enough. I also feel like I don't want to put every single one of my positions on the internet to be recorded forever. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I feel like there is, um, there's a lack of nuance now and yeah. we don't allow people to be wrong in order to figure out how to be right. Yes. And so it's That's like, okay. If, with my daughter. Yeah. So much of, our life, we're going through the rough draft version of our life, but mm -hmm. the internet captures it like it's the final draft. Yep. And that scares me so much. Like, where do we get to be the rough draft version of ourselves? Like, I get asked in interview all the, interviews all the time to adjudicate comedians' jokes. And the thing that I try to be empathetic of is, listen, people, we need institutional places where people can be wrong. That It's okay to be wrong. Because the thing I fear the most for my children is I don't want to tell my daughter, baby, you cannot mess up because someone will record it and you will be judged by the worst of your actions, not the best of your actions. That terrifies me, you know? And I think about like those years that I, I knew you and Baron when we were just coming up, I'm sure our act wasn't perfect. I'm sure our jokes weren't perfect. And I certainly hope like those things don't define who we are, you know, and I think we just need to figure out as a society where those civil places exist, you know? Well, so in terms of your show, then are you, are there certain things that are off limit? Are you sort of like, you know, I'll do maybe a few more years of this. And then I think I want to take a time out from putting my opinions out there, especially now that you have your kids, you want to be able to like focus on them maybe a little bit more. What, what, what are you thinking? So I'll give you an example um, of an issue where people so wanted people, meaning like the internet and the culture at large, so wanted me to go in on it. Um, and that is the fertility in industry and how 
there's a ton of racial baggage that comes with that. People wanting specific types of sperm donors or egg donors, so on and so forth. And then also the new societal pressure that it's put on both men and women, right? The, the reason why I didn't want to dive into it is there's a few things. A, there's a lot of personal stuff that me and my wife went to that went through that I don't want to get into that. I don't think it's the world's business. And I know we live in a world where like we should vlog everything. I don't want to do that. Um, and the second one was, this is such a deep ethical debate that every single turn that you go down, there is this crazy rabbit hole, right? IVF, sperm donors, you know, all of those things open adoption. It opens up all these other doors where I was like, I don't have the answers here. And each of them opens up a very interesting and nuanced ethical debate. I don't need to put out a reductive hot take for 15 minutes. It's not going to capture all of it, you know? And so that was an example of a story where I was like, nope, we're not going to, we're not going to move forward on it. There's a ton there and it's, it is really important, but the medium of television and what we do is so reductive. I will never be able to capture the nuance of it. And I have enough respect for the people that are going through it, fertility issues, adoptions, et cetera, um, for, for better or for worse to be like, no, I'm not going to just reduce this down into a, into a 15 minute hot take video, you know? No, I respect that because you're, you're really sort of appreciating the difficulties that are in that world and you don't want to be like, well, this is, I'm right. And this is what you all should believe. You know what I mean? Um, and so do you feel like with your show, this will be the last question and then we'll open up to audience questions, but do you feel like your show, um, do you envision that part of the reason why you do the show is that you want to use it as an educational tool for people to sort of think about these issues in ways that they haven't before? Like I, I I'm thinking specifically about, fast fashion and um cruises like those are two topics that i really didn't know that much about and then watching your show made me go oh my god like that's what i've been participating in when i'm just like you know going to zara like twice a month and like not really thinking about what i'm spending my money on and so i'm curious is like do you feel like you want your show to be that for people where they will hear what you have to say see the information that you're presenting and then they go ahead and dig deeper like, what yeah. do you think about? So to me, like, a lot of the episodes come from a question that I have. Mm -hmm. And the fast fashion one was when I learned that how the impact fast fashion, H&M, Zara, etc. were having on, you know, global warming, even more so than travel, airline travel, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's kind of crazy. But I think about the way social media and fashion has impacted our generation the most. And when I was like riffing with the audience, there's this run that's in the episode where I was like, even for this show, you guys coming to the taping tonight, you're like, I got to get a new outfit because mm -hmm. I'm going to put it in my Instagram <laughs> story and I can't have it match what was in my feed. So I got to go to Zara because basically I wrote down this take where I'm like, us being fresh to death is literally killing the planet. And I'm a part of it. Like I am a part of this thing. And so I just wanted to unpack that. And then this really killer piece of data that we got from our news team was, even if you just rewear a couple articles of clothing, the carbon footprint that it would reduce is exponentially huge. And it's like, oh, great. I can wear those black jeans three or four extra times and I'm actually doing a good thing. 
So I try to I try to put episodes out that I honestly think about that I'm curious about, but actually have like um, a tangible call to action, and they just don't make you descend into nihilistic chaos. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> like so much of things are just like, therefore capitalism is evil and the world will be a worse place for your children. But Hey, life is meaningless. Right. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to live my life like that. Like it's such a, that's such a depressing way to live. Yeah, I agree. Do you, you, you down to answer some audience questions? Let's do it. Yes. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. So, Ooh, who does your, oh, oh, oh. so dope. isn't this cute? Yeah. It's me with a wig. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is, ooh, this is this is a tough one. Okay, so this is from Gina. Um, I recently started my third year of medical school and just signed on for another $104,000 in loans. This brings my current total up to about $300,000 with another $100,000 loan next summer for my fourth and final year. Holy fuck. I didn't know medical school was like, I literally just know like ER and Grey's Anatomy. So I was like George Clooney, like running in the rain. You like, that's what I, Yeah. it takes a lot for George. You didn't know that he has half a million dollars of debt. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, why is he so stressed out? And you're like, (laughs) Phoebe, you have no idea the stress George Clooney has. (laughs) Okay. So Gina continues to write. I have no idea how to even get started with repayment once I graduate. What is a reasonable amount to start paying back each month? Is there anything I should be doing while I'm in school? Should I be saving for retirement while I'm still paying off my loans? It's a time to make one of those Sugar Bay websites. <laughs> all right. I can answer a lot of that stuff because both me and you were comedians and we just like did not do any of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> first of all... Um, this person who asked this question is killing it. They're doing way mm-hmm. better than either me or you. Like, I'm about to be a doctor. <laughs> I'm in my fourth year. I actually was getting jealous. I'm like, why are you rubbing that in? But uh, so let's unpack that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is, I'll just say on, on a very basic level, please just do not do not do loan deferment. Do income-based repayment. That's just like baseline fundamental. Please do that. Um, and then in regards to retirement and all those things, I don't know enough about it. And I don't want to give you the wrong answer. So do what I do and go down the YouTube rabbit hole and yeah. hopefully find the truth. I don't know, but I, I can't answer that just yet. I don't have the answer on that. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, we are also, you know, taught to like, think about retirement, but it's like, if we're all paying off student loans, uh-huh. how are we going to like, what are we talking about? You know, the messed up idea that I have in my head. I'm like retirement. I'm never going to be able to retire. That's like such a lie. <laughs> It is such a lie. And I'm sort of wondering, like, Gina, first of all, you're going to save so many lives. So thank you for going to school, even though you had to rack up all this debt in order to save lives. But I mean, I guess like, because she put away like $50 a week. Is that trash? Like, I feel like, is that even ignorant to suggest? Uh Don't suggest that. It's saving stuff. (laughs) Don't Don't do that. Yeah. You should. You should have like a Roth IRA and all that stuff. Please don't do that. Please. Yeah. I used to think that too, where I'm like, but if I save the money and keep it in a mattress, that's good. Right. Yeah. Like I didn't know my accountant had to be like, no money depreciates you idiot. And I'm like, yeah, I hold it. It can't be less. Right. Cause I'm holding it. 
He's like, no, you don't understand it. Yeah, get a Roth IRA. I have one. My business manager set it up, so I don't even know what I'm doing. But here's the thing. We have business managers who can help us out. What about people who don't have that? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think there's books out there on it, but I've read them and there's no like, hey, this is the definitive book on finance for 2020. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like rich dad, poor dad type stuff there. And he went to jail. <laughs> oh, Robert Kiyosaka went to jail? I think so. Or he, no, no, sorry. He, he filed for bankruptcy or something. No, I got to look this up. Yeah, do a Google. I love that you're on, like you're fact checking during the podcast. <laughs> Let me just. Holy fuck. March 30th, 2020. The ultimate hypocrite, Robbie Kiyosaka and his companies. Whoa. Is Robbie Kiyosaka. Right? This is just like. <laughs> YouTube. How Robert Kiyosaka went broke. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Part three of three. What is going on? Put that in your watch later list. It is wild. It's truly wild. That's crazy. Sorry to bring that news to you, but that is is fucked. Um, Ooh, okay. We got some good ones here. Oh, this is a good one. Okay, this is from Anonymous. This is very, I think this will be a really sweet one. Okay. Anonymous writes, I've worked hard at school my whole life, 4.0 GPA club in high school. What, what? Got the extracurriculars that got me into some really good colleges. There's just one catch. I don't want to go to college. TBH, I don't know what I want to do with my life at all. I'm only 18 and my parents always stressed how important school is, which is why I tried so hard. Okay, I also like learning, but for real, the pressure from my parents played a big part in my success at school. And I know if I don't go to college in, in the fall, it will devastate my parents. But I'm also even more scared of wasting four years dedicating myself and starting my adult life in a situation I don't care about. What should I do? Should I just suck it up and go? Should I tell my parents the truth? Am I dumb as hell for not knowing what I want to do? Aww. First of all, you're not dumb as hell for not knowing what you want. You're 18. Yeah, that's... Yeah, you're super intelligent. Like, yeah. come on. I think, look, I can't, I don't have the life answers here, but I think the fact that you don't know, I would advise please don't dive into something if you don't fully believe in it. Like, pause is okay, especially right now, especially as we're living mm-hmm. through this global pandemic. Actually hitting pause and not aggressively diving into either extreme of a decision, I think is okay. Wouldn't you agree, Phoebe? Yeah, and I think it's worth, this is not going to be a conversation with your parents that you have one time and like everything is like amazing. But it might be a process of several conversations, maybe get like a family therapist involved to just sort of help you talk through like, listen, I don't want to go to college. I'm willing to get a job, you know, whether it's coding or even like a regular ass, just sort of like retail job, like just something where it's sort of like, I do want to be an adult and be able to support myself, but college is the thing for me. And like anonymous's parents might not even realize they're putting this intimidating pressure on their kid to go to school. And so I think talking out with your parents should be the first step. And like you said, like don't make a four-year commitment 
that you're like you're just gonna go to college and what like not care not try as hard rack up all this debt like I don't know just like you gotta I know it sounds very American to be like follow your bliss but I do think this notion that doing things that are counterproductive to your nature I think doesn't help either right right I fully agree with that and if there was ever a time where you can stop and think I think now is that time Mm -hmm. you know facts so good luck anonymous okay all right this is from Maddie Hassan is a zaddy (laughs) okay Maddie writes um how could the Dems rebrand the push for forgiving student loans slash offering free college education it would benefit everyone across the aisle, but it keeps getting the socialist tag and being rejected by Republican voter Republican voters. Ooh. Yeah, that's really good. So mm-hmm. I completely agree with this. Um, Republicans are incredible at branding. They're so good at that. And they're really good at politicizing issues in regards to economics as, hey, you people are irresponsible. So why should we have government programs that bail you out? And I Mm -hmm. think um, figuring out ways to brand the student loans issue as a bipartisan issue, rather than getting dragged into culture war arguments. That's the thing that pisses me off the most right now, is that Progressives get baited into culture war arguments when don't fall for that trap because you're dealing with good faith act. You're not dealing with good faith actors that have want to have a real conversation. The things that you need to be focused on are student loan forgiveness, raising the minimum wage, holding corporations accountable. Like those are the real things that are actually going to scale and trickle down and affect people's lives getting into arguments about like language and those things with people that don't want to listen, don't let that take up airtime. That's the thing that bothers me the most. Have you ever had that? Like sometimes people will bait you into arguments that they're Mm -hmm. just being devil's advocates about where I'm like, you're just being a contrarian or you're just being a hater. You don't really want to have this argument. You don't want to have this discussion. I need to keep my eyes on the prize. And I think they need to brand and figure that out. Like I feel like, the way language was hijacked with affordable care versus Obamacare completely politicized that issue. Yeah. I think the same way with the way masks have been politicized. I mean, at some point politicians should have said science has no party. They don't give a fuck. Okay. COVID does not give a fuck about what party you're in. And, um, I think progressives get baited into these culture war arguments that are unwinnable. And it, it, it kind of bothers me because they'll just end up running with the issue and then everyday people on both sides of the aisle suffer, you know? But then, and this is, this isn't something that Maddie wrote, but, but then why do you think that the progressives keep getting baited into it? Do you think it's because they want to prove that they're right? Like if you see that this tactic is being used time and time again, why even waste the energy? Okay, so I'm going to break it down basically to the way like family dynamic works because <laughs> I'm married, I got in-laws, I got my parents. When we're all together in the family room, like as a family, it's like us, the two kids, wife, mom, dad, sister, in-laws. Attention is a finite resource. So you got to figure out even every day in your life, 
what bills can I actually get passed through Congress? And I think progressives, the heart is in the right place. Every issue, every injustice does matter. But when you're trying to pass legislation, you have to put it in an order of operations. Mm. Meaning you list all these things and they matter, but you got to be like, I can't get these things accomplished this round. I'll get it on the next round, you know? And so, um, again, that's like me being like a super pragmatic dad about it, but it is the truth. It is like the way every day, even in our everyday lives, there's a list of things that we try to accomplish in the day and we have to prioritize which, which ones are we, we going to hit first. So I'll talk about right now, like the moment that we're living in right now, I personally feel in regards to shitty cops, shitty prosecutors, all of those things, accountability for police departments, the thing that needs to be capitalized on right now is ending qualified immunity. Like to me, that is, a, is an issue that we can do right now and we need to keep the pressure on that specific issue. And I think what ends up happening is 70 other issues get compounded on that. The Republicans then go, look at them. They're all over the place. They're involved in this insane culture war. They're trying to tear down the country. When in reality, if you were to just prosecute that one specific issue, you could probably get Republicans to be like, come on, this is bullshit. And we could like you unite behind that one kind of movement. You know what I mean? Another example, um, that's a winnable issue that I'm already seeing happen, barring chokeholds and those sort of things, you know? Mitch McConnell is such a good tactician at that. He'll play the 10 or 15 year game and he'll slowly chip away just like methodically. And I think um, the progressive movement needs that too. But the heart is in the right place. The heart is in the right place. All of these things matter, but you have to also approach it. Like we live in the world too. So how do we get it done? Yeah. Systematically, you know? Before I ask the last question, would you ever want to dip your toe in politics in a way outside of commentary? No? Okay. No. Can I tell you why? Yeah, sure. I'd love to hear it. It's too, like, first of all, you're going to, you're going to get yourself into a system where you're going to have to compromise your values. Number two, the way politics is set up, it's set up in binaries. Like you're either on this side or on this side. And nobody is like that. Nobody is like that. People are issues oriented so certain Mm -hmm. issues they might be more conservative certain issues they might be more quote-unquote progressive or liberal nobody is one absolute thing but the system forces you to kind of hold the line for your respective gang and i don't think that's something i want to be a part of number two like at my in like in my core i'm an artist i just want to communicate what the human condition is and um so much of what politics is and even political commentary is it's looking at the camera and being very prescriptive. You need to do this. You need to do A, B, and C. But life is so much more nuanced than that. And I think art allows you to show the nuances of life rather than tell. And so that's really where I'm at. Uh, I'm so glad you don't want to be a politician. I'm like, I hope he says no. <laughs> we don't need any more public figures doing it. It's just I don't want, I don't want that at all. Yeah. I don't want that yeah. at all. You know? Yeah. Okay, we have one last question. Okay, this is really, really good. This is from Natalie from Lima, Peru. Um, She writes, why do you think international students are seen as a threat by the U.S. authorities? Do you think it's because of this idea that the U.S. is the land of dreams and that everyone must want to stay even when it's not true? 
Myself and many other Peruvians from many different backgrounds worked really hard to get in one of the U.S. grad schools. And now, not just because of COVID, because of Trump, new regulations, everything is uncertain. I could even lose my funding. Yeah. yeah. It's been super, so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of current um, international students where mm-hmm. their status is currently in limbo um, because of the fact that schools may not reopen and they may have to go back home. It's really scary. It's really fucked up. And again, like um, something like higher education has now been politicized as this culture war immigration issue of, Hey, these people are infiltrating. We need to take care of American students first, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah. Um, what's the name of the person who wrote that? Natalie. Yeah. I'm sorry, Natalie. It's really, it's super stressful. A bunch of people, um, have been hitting me up online and telling me like these stories. It's really, really sad. Wait, that's it. <laughs> the pun- Phoebe, I don't have the pun. You asked me these super hard questions. Like the, this is what so- people write. This is what Natalie wrote. It's not oh, me. It's her. Immigration, H-1B, visa. <laughs> like I can't. This is like, the, this is the curse of doing this show that I do. People hit me up with these like super hard questions. I'm like, it takes us three or four months to write these. Like, come on. <laughs> like, can you, give me a break? <laughs> can you just solve it for me right now? Just tell it to me in three sentences, please. <laughs> but do you think that like, if this goes through, right. And like school doesn't reopen the falls, even though, even then the fall, even though Betsy DeVos is like, let's just do it anyway. And you're like, what? That's not a plan. Um, and people can't, people have to leave the country because schools aren't reopening. Like, what do you think the impact that is going to be generationally? So I think one of the things that we're watching happen just completely change beneath our feet is Mm -hmm. America and especially America, higher education and, uh, hiring coming out of higher education was built on this idea that. America is this hub for the best talent around the world. And so what inadvertently is going to happen is you are going to lose those top players from around the world that then go on to work at the top companies in America. So you are going to inadvertently see a brain drain of people being Mm. like, okay, I guess I'll go to the UK or I'll go to another place and provide my talent uh, there. So I think, um, it's really scary. Like so many of our great innovators that came to Silicon Valley, that came to America, that became entrepreneurs, I think it's 40 plus percent are immigrants. It's because they were recruited here. And so it's kind of scary to see that that thing that that brought um, that innovative DNA to our country is basically being like, now nah, we're not interested anymore. I didn't know it was 40 plus yeah. percent. Wow. Yeah. That's think wild. About of them like a lot of folks came from other countries right elon musk is south african uh chamath palapathia his family's from sri lanka then he came as a refugee to canada and then he came here like there's so many stories like that uh sundar pachai india like there's a million of these stories um where that entrepreneurial innovative spirit we brought Mm -hmm. the best talent from around the world here to the united states and let me just say this like as we live through a global pandemic and everybody is crossing their fingers for an answer. Who do you think is going to figure that out? It's really great scientists. It's really great entrepreneurial people that are futuristic thinkers, right? And if you shun those people, other countries are going to have that talent. And so again, 
this thing that made America really amazing as this hotbed to mix the best and most talented people from around the world is now being once again politicized and turned into the stupid culture war, you know? Yeah. So to close out this episode, I want to ask you, you know, I think we're both like we we want to be these optimists, even though we find it hard on certain days. But like what what do you sort of hope for the future of this country in terms of the educational system? Like what would you like for what what changes would you like to see in the next couple of generations when it comes to schooling? I I think financial literacy is one. Mm -hmm. Like I really hope all communities and especially communities of color are given major, major financial literacy. Uh, number two um, is like a real deep understanding of meaningful STEM education that can actually help people's lives. That way, if God forbid, a bunch of us are now turning into these weird gig workers. I don't want people to live the way we live, where we're like yeah. hopping between a podcast and a book and then a stand-up tour just so we can piecemeal our life together. We are pirates, but everybody in yeah. America should not be a pirate, <laughs> right? Like some some backbone that, hey, you can pursue your passion and pursue your dreams, but if you have these three or four skill sets that will teach you from middle school, high school, and college, you will be okay. You will have a job and you will be in demand and you'll be able to provide for yourself as a baseline. Um, those, those two major things, I think, would be super valuable. Um, and I, I really hope that my kids and their kids get that type of education. Oh, it's always so good to talk to you. Just always, I always learn like 10 different things and you always make me feel better about the world. And you also make me feel like a little more upset. Like what the fuck is going on here? But it's so good. You know what? Can I tell you one thing? This is not even like associated with education. I just really hope that we all, anybody who's listening or watching this, we all need to maintain our sanity too, because Mm. There's also a lot of like beautiful, amazing things that are happening in our lives that um, social media and these um, social media and entertainment and our phones are stripping that joy away from us. Mm. Like um, I remember like just the other day I was taking like my daughter and we, I took her swimming and I was like teaching mm-hmm. her how to float on her back and she was giggling. And it was such a beautiful moment, like, um, because she was afraid of floating and then she popped up and then she hugged me and she just put her head Aww. on my shoulder. Like she, like she needed me to, to stay above water. And it was this really beautiful moment. And I was so happy for like 45 seconds because I'm carrying my little girl in the water and she's hugging me and she like loves me and she needs me and we're learning and we're growing together. And I know we're living in this really crazy time, but we should hang on to those moments of joy. Like they do mean something and I know everything's crazy, but don't let the media or the president or the administration or the state of politics or discourse or Twitter or Instagram take those things away from us because I do think they're, they're, they're being, they're slipping away, you know, and I'm trying to cherish. That's a reminder to myself too. I want to cherish those little moments of my own humanity, you know? Oh, that was such a beautiful note to end on. Hassan, oh my god, thank you for doing Black Uh Wasn't that the best conversations in Hassan? So amazing. He's so smart. I know. I'm just like, I need him as my um my Sherpa. Mm-hmm. This has been an amazing episode. 
I really feel renewed. I feel like my acne has cleared up. <laughs> Just from that conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. All the stress has gone away. Uh-huh. And as you guys know on the podcast, this is indie. It's just me and Bake Off, mm-hmm. Bonnie and Clyde, Venus and Serena. The Edge and Bono. That's my baby. <laughs> um, so we're not, this is indie. This is from our hearts and our farts. So we aren't, we don't have any sponsorship. And what I want to do instead was do an ad for one of my favorite black owned businesses each week because I feel like that is what we should do. We should mm-hmm. be supporting each other, uplifting each other. So this week, my shout out is to Minted Cosmetics. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them online. It's black owned makeup beauty brand. Fantastic. I have like all their nude color lipsticks. They look so good. Um, I have blushes too. They're fantastic. Minted Cosmetics, introduced to me by my lovely makeup artist, Delina Medin. Um, so follow them, buy their stuff, and just feel good. I know the world is trash, but feel good in your shoes. Was that cute? That was really cute. Thanks, babe. Okay, time for credits. There's only two of us. It's just me and Mangoff doing everything to make this baby take off. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm surprised. So can we start a music career for me? No, for the 500th time. What do you mean? <laughs> Come to me with a demo. You're we'll going to help there. me put the demo together. No, I need, I need like proof. <sighs> I just showed you those two bars those right Those two there. bars. <laughs> Dear Warner Studios. (laughs) Okay, for real, credits. Theme song, Gavin Turek. Hosted by Phoebe Robinson. Produced by Phoebe Robinson and British Bake Off. Edited by British Bake Off. We will see you next week. What are your final thoughts, babe? Have a cup of tea on me. Love tea.